The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. The father of the holy toast. Hello and welcome to Fofop, I'm Will Anderson and our first time guest Charlie Clawson, David Huntsberger is on the show, very excited, we've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's nice that you're in the United States, that helps. Right, that does help. Yes, we are in the United States and you're a resident of these United States? I am, Los Angeles, I live probably 10 miles from you, so we're pretty close. So about three and a half hours in LA traffic. <laughs> yeah. Where, where were really you from early. originally? Reno, Nevada. And so there's not that sort of traffic in Reno, Nevada, right? They, oddly, they've maintained a steady, we're doing construction to make the city better for right. over a decade. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it is always like, what is going on here? There are two freeways. There's a north-south and an east-west, and they're always under construction. Always. I was just back there, and I hadn't been back in 10 years, and still construction. I feel like they should have, uh, I mean, maybe this is a first world thing. Like, maybe this is another thing across the developing nations that they should get involved with at this stage. Mm-hmm. But in major cities, they should every, like the Olympics or whatever, but let's make it every 20 years. You right. have, like, best city in the world. And so everyone has the aim to get their construction and everything done. Yeah. And then for a year, you can't <laughs> touch it. Right. And it's judged by everybody as a complete city. And you yeah. can have a look at it. You can and do then like you can helicopter start again. flyovers right. and people would watch. Oh, that's pretty good. Right. You can take a photo of the cities with no cranes, no construction. Yeah. It's just like, in the year 2020, this is New York. <laughs> in the year 2020, this is Sydney. And then a year later, you can just have a crack again, right? True. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I mean, anyway, I'm running for American politics <laughs> on that policy. You're already line. ahead of everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I, I know LA traffic's a kind of hacky thing to talk about, but I think that um, as a foreigner coming here, it still blows my mind that you can't... Yesterday I had four appointments on four different sides of this city, uh-huh. and you're at best giving people approximations of when you will be there, or yeah. what day you will be there. Yeah, it is a time vortex to some degree. I mean, it really... Of those appointments, I bet you weren't on time to all of them. There's well, no way. Well, hilariously enough... I got the opposite experience yesterday because all the appointments were really, really important that I was there on time. Uh-huh. So I did the worst case scenario on every one of oh, them. Oh, nice. And did yeah. that thing. But then, like, I really spent an hour and a half in a Westfield in uh, the Valley filling in time in a food court into <laughs> one of my appointments. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are the, the, you either get there really early and like, oh, all right, I'm going to just sit in my car for a while or fly right. a cop. Yeah. it's. I had a thing yesterday where I... It almost feels like fate, you know, like if you set out and they're just constantly signs telling you you shouldn't go. Like I was having that where I turned a corner and then there was a construction crew out of nowhere like giving me the signal like they didn't even have someone with a sign. Just a guy on a tractor like, go away! And I had to back up and go a different way. And then I was heading my new direction. Same thing. More construction that was unannounced. Just get out of here. So I really... I assume when there's unannounced construction that it's some sort of Batman plot. I think so too. You know? Yeah. That's immediately what I think. Right. And th- there were cars going around the blockade and just like driving through the construction zone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also enjoy that attitude. Me too. I enjoy the attitude of someone who looks at a construction going, I think I can take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't have a sign guy here. Right. They really messed up. <laughs> Whenever someone, you know, like you, you get the green light, but not the green arrow. Right. So you're supposed to wait to turn left. Every now and again, someone will just be like, I'm not waiting and sit through. I kind of always admire that. Like, that's a dick move, but you got places to go and you really didn't cause me to stall much more than a half second. I'll allow it. I will allow something that doesn't have a break in traffic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if someone ducks through like that and there's a space. Yeah. Yeah, I'm no stickler for the rules. <laughs> I don't want to all be like it's got to be by the letter of the law. Like, if there's no traffic on a street, I can walk across it in the middle, surely. Like, 
That's where we differ. I'm doing citizen's arrest. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be tackled if I said that. (laughs) So, but I hate the inconsiderate nature of drivers in and this is my pet peeve and this is how you know you're becoming an older person because i do have a traffic pet peeve now i yeah. never thought i'd be one of those people but i'm about five years from ringing talk radio telling other people <laughs> about what my pet peeve is <laughs> and it's people who um you're not meant to enter an intersection until your passage out of the intersection is clear Right? Ah, no. Don't go in. You're not meant to go in because then you get stuck in the middle and then no one can go the next time. The first person should go out because then you're guaranteed that when it turns yellow... Oh, I don't mean on the turn. I'm not not talking the turn. I'm talking normal intersection. Yeah. Busy traffic. Horrible. That is horrible. Those people who think, oh, I'll just get across here. No. Now you're in the middle of the traffic and no one can go from the other direction. And the only recourse the cross traffic has is just laying on the horn. Right. Which I never do, but I love when someone behind me does. Like, yeah, Yeah. now you know, buddy. Now you know that this is a really shitty move you just pulled off. Right. And you're like, I'm with that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Just so you know, I'm in this honking side of things. I didn't start this, but (laughs) I've chosen my side now. And and then they look like a little piglet that's trying to like scurry in to get milk on a tea because they're like, sometimes they'll duck over to the side and try to get like... Do a little... Yeah, like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm hype. No, you're not. You're right. in the way. It's like, it's someone that, like, he's really bad at Tetris, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just try it. Uh, it drives me crazy. I'm with you on that. Yeah. yeah I thought you meant the turn. No, no, no. You got to go in on the turn. Everyone starts against the turn and then eventually you're like, ah, you got to go out there and like be aggressive to get in that turn. Oh thing. no, you got to get in. Yeah. And if you don't get two, I mean, if you've gone out not enough that we can't get two cars minimum on that turn, then you have done a bad job as the leader of the turn. <laughs> yeah, you do assume a role of like, I'm leading this turn. I right, and if they're banged down. up behind you, I'm trying, like for me, it's like the great escape. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get as many through as I possibly can. <laughs> so I'm edging out right till when like the other cars are going by me and I can say hello to them. Just, uh, right, yeah. we're all going guys. guys if I'm going, me. yeah, over the wall, we're all going. <laughs> It's admirable. <laughs> Come here and immediately assume that. It's, uh, not a lot of people can, can take that responsibility on their shoulders. You know, it takes years of living here. So I had an it. insight into, um, uh, you know, I, sometimes, what, I, I, do you have a fear? Like, do you have like a fear that you've had to overcome in your life? Like, you ever been scared of heights or anything like that? Oh, definitely. I, uh, you know, for a long time I was having this dream, every so often, not, not like nightly, but every so often I'd have this dream I'm in deep space but i'm moving through it and i seem to be moving head first with kind of my arms at my sides which is fun in the dream right you're just zipping along like, this is awesome there's weightlessness but all of a sudden you can kind of see out on the periphery just kind of some walls and then you slowly realize you're in it's sort of like a cylinder and then that is just slowly decreasing in diameter Every so, every few feet or whatever. So by the end, now I'm moving headfirst, arms at my side through a tube that's like narrowing into where it's three feet wide, then two feet, and then I, I slow to a stop, and my shoulders are, and I'm wedged. Like I've clearly like wedged to the bottom of this. But the end, the exit of this tube, it's, it's like a clear glass tube, is like two feet from my head. So I know I'm really close, but the opening is only like you know a foot wide. To where I'm just stuck there, like, I'll never get through that hole, but I can't climb out of this. There's no, there's no sides of it I can, like, get. I'm just stuck here, and then I wake up freaked out. I feel like that's about your career. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Luckily, I stopped having the dream because I was thinking, like, hey, I'm pursuing the wrong things here. <laughs> Well, when I first came to LA, one of my big fears was not making a mistake in traffic. Because as I was like, you know, there's already so many cars on the road. I'm a foreigner here. I'm driving on the different side of the road. Yeah. They don't tell you all the rules. No. And they're rude once you mess up with any of them. Right. But everyone's rude all the time. So you get a bit of a pass that way because they, they can say, ah, damn foreigner. They don't know that that person's a foreigner. It is always helpful if it's someone where you, ah, old person, I knew it. Or yeah, I always dress as an old foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> Not in a racially insensitive way. Sure. Like, I don't want people to be... If they're picturing me as an old foreigner, I don't yeah. want them to think that I'm being racially insensitive. Right, because that's tough for you to do as, as a white guy. 
to you know to look like a foreigner. Right, that's right. Yeah, no, I um, I, I dress like a diehard villain, so that they think I'm from an Eastern European. <laughs> Leader hose it on, right. like feather in your hat. <laughs> uh, I was a bit terrified of making a mistake in LA traffic. Mm-hmm. Always get the full protection on the car when I hire it. You know everything, yeah. just like you know, if yeah, it goes yeah. wrong, I'm ready for it to go wrong, uh-huh. and it went wrong. I was, really? Yeah. So I was on the 405, which is about as busy as, you know, traffic gets here mm-hmm. in LA. And uh, my hire car broke down. Really? Yeah. Broke down I've on the I've never heard of that happening. No. Right? It's crazy. What right. happened to it? Uh, I don't know. They just, they towed it. Like, <laughs> but two hours, I had to sit. It, oh, by the way. In that's the, a huge fear of mine. I was in the emergency lane the place that is for breakdowns yeah like it wasn't like i was right in the middle of the like i managed to you're still gonna get yelled at and stuff. right yeah. because apparently it's not for breakdowns <laughs> no. apparently it's for people just to go past in traffic i see when i see someone like in a middle lane it's clearly having a tough time i want to jump out and like help them like here let me push your car to the side yeah. but i have this fear that people are so rushed that they will be willing to run you over right. to get with it it's like don't get out and help people stay in your car or we'll run you down. So I just go like, I'd help you, but I don't want to die. And I just drive past them. That's not healthy. It's not healthy though, is it? No. I think that as a society, I mean, I know this is this is a theme that comes up quite a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. But I choose to believe that mm-hmm. we live in a society, right? You know, I choose yeah. to believe that. Like, I sure. understand that there are people who have chosen that that is not their belief. Right. And that's one of the toughest things is because, you know, a lot of people, I think when they... I think instinctively a lot of people... Uh, warm to the idea of community. That's mm-hmm. why we've always grouped ourselves into communities. Even yeah. online, you know, it's about forming communities in whatever, you know, sense, right? Sure. So there's a natural human emotion there. So people understand that. Mm-hmm. But I think that people get knocked down so many times by people who don't care about community that yeah. they stop even doing the things that they instinctively want to do. Or- you instinctively want to help that person. Right. But you're just like, uh, you're worried that someone else will be like, no, fuck that person. I'm running you down and that person down. I've got to get get the pink berry. Or if you're like the person that, say, someone's trying to merge out and they're coming out and you stop and you give them a little wave. I'm not in that big of a hurry. Head on out. And they give you a wave like, thanks. Now you drive ahead 100 feet. Another person's coming out and you let them out. Yeah. But then you get to the third person and you're like, you know what, dude, I can't let everyone in all day. And now you, to them, you're a dick. To them, right. they go, oh, this, this guy wouldn't let me in. You're like, I let two other people in. That is For the day, I'm is, doing all right. That is the exact description of me and the homeless folk of Santa Monica. Like, <laughs> yeah, you because I, if I have some change and I, like, you know, I'll definitely give somebody, but like, they need to have a little sticker or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to take a vine of yourself. <laughs> no, 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 this was 10 minutes Look, ago. Yeah. <laughs> Here's two dollars, but I do need to take a six-second video. Hold up the newspaper. Let's get a shot of your watch. And where are you wearing a watch? You're homeless. All right, here we go. And then you give them the money. Yeah, that'd be very helpful. I saw this dude the other day. This is one of those moments where, like, I felt horrible and I couldn't drive any further. Mm-hmm. This guy was wearing. It looked almost like duct tape, but it was like a like a space type material right like gray kind of you, if you heard it it would kind of go when when you ruffled it and that was wrapped around his base which extended about six inches on either side from his waist down so he had his legs amputated there so he was moving along he had what looked like suitcase handles in each hand and he was hopping with those like essentially walking on his hands with those and this weird space bottom duct tape thing that he would like bounce on so he'd go like a bounce on his nub legs hands bottom hands that's how he's moving down the street and he, he's kind of an older dude like in his wow. mid-50s it was heartbreaking because he just had this God. stoic look on his face like i'm getting where i'm going and i was like there's no way you should have to move down move through life like that that's crazy but I'm going the opposite direction of him. Right. So it would have meant for me to do like a U-turn. And I, I, initially I thought, ah, that's, that's, that's a little too much right now. And then I drove about 100 feet and was like, what am I talking about? Like I can, so I maneuvered through traffic and waited. So only about 30 seconds had gone by. And when I came back to like find him and be like, hey, do you need a ride somewhere? He was gone. So he, and then I was kind of like, how fast is this guy going? Like he just scurried right. out of the way. <laughs> 
I don't know what happened there. Maybe he was a figment of my imagination. And then I was kind of angry that he'd set me behind schedule. Like, damn it, I'm gonna be late and I didn't even get to feel like a hero. Oh, there's a lot going on there. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that also says something about your career. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have a, um, a, a philosophy when it comes to life? You know, do you feel like you know you have a you know, humanistic approach to life, or do you feel like you're a like you yeah. know what's what's what sort of person are you? I mean, I, we've I met a few times, but I don't. I don't yeah. yeah, you seem like a nice guy, but maybe there's like a dark side. Is there dastardly? I think, in the simplest form, one. I think if I did have like a life truth or something I really lived by, I wouldn't share it with anyone because it seems like that's where things have always gotten out of hand. People being like, "You must live like this," right? Or I would feel like whatever gets you by is is would kind of be mine. I just don't want to be dying and have all these memories flooded of things I didn't do correctly or that I can't feel good about. So in any situation, if it helps me feel like at the end of my life, whether that's giving the change back to someone and when they would have never known, just those stupid little things, like that, that to me makes the most sense. It's very selfish. I just want to, at the end of it, feel like, all right, well, I did my best. And then... But I say this is the right sort of selfish. I don't have any problem with the selfish that makes the world better for other people. Yeah. I've always, I've never understood that argument when people say, oh, well, they're just giving those poor people money so they can feel good. <laughs> I don't yeah. think that it makes the sandwich taste any less delicious for I the agree. poor person, yeah. you know? If Mother if Teresa was just the most narcissistic person that ever lived, we still think, even still, did a lot of nice things. Right. It counts. It's still good. It and still I, counts. And I think that's the, like, you know, we kind of almost sell it the wrong way to people. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you sold, you know, giving someone like, you know, the, the fun that it is to give someone who doesn't have $5, $5. Yeah. Like the joy you get out of that, there's no other way I can spend $5 yeah. and get that amount of joy. <laughs> yeah. Right. I totally agree. It's yeah. a good investment. I, yeah, I 100% agree. Cause you sometimes walk away from that going like, what if their family came here and said, you know, they're a drug addict and every time someone like you helps them, you're just enabling them and we were worried sick about them. I would go, nah, I didn't know that. And this little bit of joy that it gave me and them was mutually acceptable. So you'd either have to hang out with them full time and tell people like me at the moment or just live with the consequences that they're not going to starve to death today. Right. And I feel like, you know, there's a difference between rock bottom and you know, where the Chilean miners were hanging out. Like, (laughs) you know, I I understand the idea of letting someone fall, but, and look, you know, I I understand this is also a complicated area because in sometimes in life, you know, you can, you can enable somebody by, you know, not letting them fall hard enough, but fuck man, like some people have fallen and I'm not sure, like as a society, it's just so hard sometimes to go, fuck. What have we done? (laughs) You're still on the way down. You'll learn your lesson soon enough. Just roll up the windows and head out. I don't know that we could. Yeah, I don't. And who knows that like maybe getting money from that stranger is the part that makes them feel the worst. Even when they get that money and have a big smile, they walk away going, oh, God, like nice people are helping me. And I don't I don't want that person to think they spent this five dollars on what I'm going to do with it. Right. But I am going to go use it for whatever. I don't, maybe that would, you never know, but you're like, yeah, I think it is just kind of that. The selfish part is all, you have a, a limited experience. It's short and you made up your mind in that moment. Like for whatever reason, this person seems like they could use it. Because if I see, like, a young bum, I'm not interested in helping no. them. <laughs> well, you mean how young, though? Like, because, like, teen homeless, I'm a little, like, yeah, you're susceptible to teen homeless. I saw a dude with a cool haircut that was probably, like, 22. Right. He was, you know, fit. He wasn't malnourished in any way. He was dressed fine. And he was standing on a median with a sign that said, I'll bet you a dollar you read this sign. And then I drove by like a jerk and was like, double or nothing. Because <laughs> I hated it. I hated him so much for being young and like capable. And I understand that compulsion there to feel like, oh, my life is so tough. I'm, I've reached my wits end or I've reached this. I don't think that's ever true at that age. I think you always have some m- means to even just look on Craigslist and go... You know, and, oh, I can't get on Craigslist. You can go to the library. There are ways to get around being homeless for sure. And wanting money as a homeless person, I've always thought this is a good idea. You go get two for one coupons, mm-hmm. cut them out, and then you just stand next to someone in line with that 
and then hand it to him and go, I'll have what he's having. And they go, no, no, you guys aren't together. And that who on, in their right mind is going to go, oh, no, 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 I'm not with him. If you knew you could help a homeless person by just doing nothing than what you were set out to do, wouldn't you just be like, yeah, all right, this guy's enterprising. I'll get a second sandwich. It's free. All right. Well, that's why I've always thought, because for me, I can't eat, I mean, it's a thing that Australians always talk about here, but the food is so big here that I can <laughs> yeah. never eat all the food. Yeah. And then I basically, they give you, they box up your food for you to take. Yeah. And I'm like, well... I'm happy to give that to someone. If someone wants to eat like the rest of my meal, which was delicious, like I'm right, not saying yeah. you should have my slops, <laughs> but like they were giving it to me to eat. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? I'm gonna go home and eat this slop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a double win. You will get some food. Yeah. And I won't feel terrible at two o'clock in the morning when I'm still watching Laura and SVU eating this horrible <laughs> food. Going, what have I done? Yeah. I've become like a real. I don't know if it's someone you'd even want to hang out with that way when they're like. The meal's done, and then like, all right, want me to box this up? And most people you eat with go, no, nah, I'm good. And I'm always like, no, no, get these in boxes. Like, let's, you can just leave it outside, even if you don't have a homeless person. It's odd when you have food to give to homeless people, you can never find them. Right. And then you go out searching, like, well, I'm not gonna drive around all night. So no. we live. <laughs> <laughs> I did that in London, so I'm not very good with. Um, uh, foreign currency, mm-hmm. like particularly change, as you can see from the table we're on here where I have piles of coins because I just get confused and then I'm in the shop and it takes me too long to like, right. you know, so I just always give notes and uh-huh. then so I get more change. It's terrible. Oh, it's an endless cycle. So normally what I'll do is I'll, um, you yeah, know, take it on the plane. They have like a, a change for good envelope. You know, you put the money in and it goes to like you know, African kids, whatever. That's good. That's mm-hmm. good. I can put all my different currencies yeah. in. Works for me. Well, they have a Coinstar thing here too. Have you been to that? Oh, yeah. 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 You can do the same thing there. Like you can give all of it or percentage of it to a charity. So I was in London and I had too much currency. There was no way I was even going to get it to the airport to put in the things. So I decided I was just going to have a, like a big homeless day. So I loaded up my pockets and I was just wandering the streets of London thinking every time I see a homeless person today, there is not going to be one who doesn't get a little, here you go, mate, here you go. And, but, and I was like, I, I was, I had so much. I was like, I don't care. Buskers as well. Like today I might give a busker, busker a couple of dollars. Sure, they're like if they're doing a good show. Yeah. You know, they're working hard on the streets as well. Yeah. So couldn't find a homeless person. Walked for about an hour with like big bags of coins in my pockets. I was like, I can't give it away. At that point though, I've always wanted to just go and just add time to everyone's parking meter. Oh, so that, see, that's good. Then people come out and they're like, I thought I was going to get a ticket. <gasps> 30 minutes? What saint saved my, you know, then you're, you're helping people that maybe don't need, but I would love that. The other day I got a parking ticket for one minute after it expired. Like, so that asshole had just stood there and watched the meter tick down and then written me a ticket. Infuriating. But if some saint had come just trotting by and dunked in a little. I mean, this takes away a lot of the honor and uh, selflessness of it. Mm -hmm. But here's what you could do is an interesting viral marketing technique. Uh You could go around and fill people's, you know, meters as they're about to expire. And then you put a flyer for your album under the like, windscreen it says yeah. I just saved you $70 why don't you spend 30 of that on David Huntsman <laughs> like, there you go I mean <laughs> I think I would hate that person uh, yeah of course <laughs> of course you would I'd want to be like God, I hope their band does well they're just out there saving people t- but oh, the, the, the method behind it there is something about um, being good at marketing mm-hmm. that is off putting in art yeah, and like, definitely. And it shouldn't necessarily be so. No, and it, I feel like someone like Dane Cook took the brunt of that. Like, oh, he was the only good marketer ever. Like, eh, as an entertainer, especially as a solo, a band, you can get together and be like, well, Michael's the best in our group about putting flyers out and getting, so he'll take charge of that. Or we'll get a manager. Maybe Michael's girlfriend, who's always helping out, was good at Photoshop. But as a comedian, you're your own corporation, so you do kind of. Luckily, have to Michael's girlfriend, who is always helping out, he's good at Photoshop, though. In every case, <laughs> every band, band. Yeah. it's always yeah. like every successful band. Like, oh, then she would just go uh, out and like. What was their secret? It'd be good if uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book and uh, like did one of those studies where he realized <laughs> that the actual constant in all successful be- startup bands was that their girlfriend was good at Photoshop. I would imagine it's a way higher percentage than anyone would would believe. Right. Like, oh yeah, the, the, the only band that ever made it that didn't have that. Suddenly everyone would love that band. Like, are you kidding me? 
Uh, what sort of music do you like? Are you a music fan? I like that DIY kind of, and I don't think it now, like kind of indie rock stuff. I like, I like old country music. And oh, then I what, like, what do you mean old country music? Like Merle Haggard, oh, yeah, okay, Don cool. Williams and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know? right. Nice. And uh, yeah, I kind of grew up with that, which I really love. And then country music kind of lost me in maybe the 90s to a certain degree. And now I just, it, it bugs me that people say, country music, you play it backwards, you get your house back. Here. That's not true at all now. All country music now is like, I'm going to live on a beach in Mexico and you got to live life to the fullest and follow your dreams. It's all positive and right. I don't care for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's some darkness or some depth of some sort. Right, but that yeah. is what country music's meant to be about. Like, I think so, right. yeah. It's three chords and the truth. Yeah. Like, you know, you're spilling it out there. I really like the Pixies. I like this sort of that disjointed sort of right, weird so lyrical... Good area. Okay. As people who listen to this podcast know, because I talk about it all the time, Pixies mm-hmm. is my favorite band of all time. Ah, we have something in common. So, um... Uh, how do you feel about uh, the new lineup change in the Pixies? She sounds like Kim Deal, right. which is fine with me. Yeah. And I feel like certain people, like Adam Sandler hasn't made the greatest movies recently, but he has what? done <laughs> I didn't, didn't realize this podcast was going to be full of bombshells. <laughs> Look, I bring in two things, a good attitude and the truth. Right. <laughs> And uh, I just feel like artistically, when someone has done enough, they get a pass from me. You can put out crap as much as you want. And I don't think the new Pixie stuff is going to be crap. It kind of is a bummer to see Kim not be a part of it. But I also know, like, she has, you know, addiction issues and maybe she's a little burned out and touring is hard for her to deal with. And... You know, they I mean, they don't get along, uh, yeah. famously. Right. And because, I mean, re- when they reformed in 2004, because... They were the only band that I'd ever really loved because I'm a I, I love live music. So mm-hmm. over the years, like I had really endeavoured to see every band that I really loved play live, and mm-hmm. the only one that I kind of had never had an opportunity to do was uh, the Pixies. Yeah. And I just thought, well, it's never going to happen. Right. So when in 2004 they reformed, yeah, uh, they did a couple of warm up shows and then they played Coachella. Mm-hmm. And so Amy and I we flew from Australia just to watch. That gig because we wow. were like, we like we have to go to that one yeah. because you I'll break know. up against it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. The, these people hate each other, <laughs> like, and it's been nearly ten years. Yeah. So I mean, pr- that's pretty good. In fact, since then I'm I've really seen them impressed so many with times, like because yeah. I miss out on things like that all the time. Like I should have, and a lot of times like financially or whatever, there's right, always a reason you can course. find. But man, that's really impressive because I I saw them on that same tour at ACL Fest in Austin. But I had just moved there, so it was like very convenient for me to just head across the street basically and go see them. But I knew that same feeling, like they're gonna feud and they're gonna break up even and cancel all these tour dates. Yeah. But I feel like I caught him right in stride where like they were so crisp. Like everything, his voice is obviously a little bit more strained now, but everything was so good. Like they were note for note right on the money, which was awesome. It's also, you know, the nice thing about it is that um, they, because they were never, like, you know, I mean, I don't want to say not good looking because that's not, not the right, but you know, that was never about they how they looked. Right. Yeah, I love, right. they, to me, I heard the story one time where Frank Black just by himself went into this like real punk bar in like Kansas City or something like that in khaki pants and a collared shirt and a guitar case and came in and was like, can I play a set? And they all kind of laughed at him like, this chubby guy in khakis wants to, yeah, go for it, dude. And then he started doing Pixie songs and everyone went, oh shit. That's right, Black! <laughs> and he was screaming, and it's yeah. like the most punk dude you can be. And everyone at the end was like, that was amazing! And I just love that there's nothing punk rock about them uh, other than their music. Music. And it's, it's so good. It really like rattles your bones, you know? And, or at least if you're into it. I th- well, I mean, you know, most things you have to be into to enjoy. Yeah. So let's just assume that yeah, that's the Yeah, let's just assume you're into it. I mean, I have a few friends that are like, yeah, I don't really care for the Pixies. And it blows my mind. Like, yeah, this is, it's so different. It's... Right, it still feels, like when it's at its best, Yeah, like you still feel like, oh my god, this is music. Yeah. Like in a way that you don't necessarily feel all the time. But what I love was, because, uh, have you seen uh, This Is The End? No. Right. That's good. I thought it was really funny, yeah, actually. Yeah, Evan said it's good. Uh, this is not really a spoiler. I, hope that, I don't think you can do This Is The End spoilers, but uh, the Backstreet Boys uh-huh. are in it, right? Oh, okay. And it was like one of those classic things where you're like, oh my god, they've all kind of 
had plastic surgery <laughs> to look still like the Black Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Whereas like the Pixies didn't. No. They, yeah, we have to recreate. They're just like. Well, they oddly with Joey and then Dave being bald. They oddly look very similar, and, right. and Frank too. So I guess Ken was the only one that, as a woman, like you're gonna look different. But I feel like there was such a love and affection from listeners to them that they could have looked any way they wanted to. Absolutely, they were never glamorous rock stars. They were just kind of these nerdy Boston kids that could scream and wail. And so it bugs me that they they'll kind of go out now with this lack of charm. But I feel like they've done enough. I feel like with those first five, they're so... I was just listening to Trompe a while ago. It's so much better than anyone gives it credit for. Right. So oh, cool. no, no, no. It's a great album. I, yeah. I've never understood, like, why people have... Like, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm the same. Like, yeah. I mean, I... Everything they think, do, anything they want to do is fine with me. Okay, good. Yeah, you know, I, they, I, they, you've you've done enough for me, and I've done nothing for you. Yeah, so. yeah. If you want, if you need to put kids through Ivy League schools, and that's why you're doing it, that's fine. If you just feel compelled to write new music, that's fine. Whatever it is, I, I'm totally fine with. But also that thing of like, we have choices as consumers, right? To like, if you don't want to listen to their new music, <laughs> yeah, then don't. you don't have to. Yeah. I have this argument sometimes with PJ Harvey. Uh, not with PJ Harvey, I wish. <laughs> listen to your PJ. <laughs> Polly, if I may. <laughs> I, um, because she will, particularly album to album, often do a completely contrasting style of album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you'll have people go, well, I like this one, and why is she doing this one? I'm like, because she's PJ Harvey, and that's what she does. Yeah. Right? Now, yeah. you don't have to be into each of it, uh-huh. but you let her be her because what right. you've enjoyed about her mm-hmm. came from the same experimental process that she's going through with this. Yeah. You know, she's the artist, and if you like her, you've got to trust that, like... Yeah. Well, I know. feel like true artists should always kind of lose their fan base to some degree because right. you're... You're pushing. You're moving ahead. Like, well, I spoke in this way. I got this sentiment out through this painting or whatever. And now I'm sick of painting like that. So I'm going to go over here and do this. I'm going to do it differently. And I think when you have some success, it's got to be a lot harder because they go, hey, remember that gold record we hung on the wall or the platinum one? If you sing a song... Do you remember that gold house you used to live in (laughs) and the platinum one? Yeah. 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 Just make a beat that's similar to that and we'll sell it. And that's one thing I thought about that Bag Boy song from the Pixies. It's very similar to Manta Ray. It is a little. And and so I was kind of like... Are, are they really inspired? I mean, that's something that everyone's going to kick around. and I don't care. I like it, but I don't, I'd have to listen to the whole album and feel like, does it have a feel? You know, I feel like Surfer Rosa sounds different than Bossa Nova. I mean, they have like, oh, they went in and they really wanted to explore this, and then they right. did. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, because that's, I think you're absolutely right in that. You know, um, Black Francis went into each of those albums, you know, kind of uh, looking at, a different style of music that he was obsessed with. Mm-hmm. And at the moment it feels like, <clears throat> are they just going to be obsessed with the Pixies music and make like, you know, <laughs> yeah. more of that? Or are they going to yeah. be, is he going to be doing something else? Yeah. I saw it's an interview with him a while ago and the person was asking him like, when you write, are you writing as Black Francis and the Pixies? Are you writing as Frank Black? Are you writing, you know, with, for the Catholics? And he was like, what do you dude? It's out here. And he just kind of did this little like finger motion kind of in the ether, you know, like you're just grabbing little fragments when you can get them. They go wherever they go. And I thought that was really interesting that like when fragments come in, he just assigns that, you know, so it doesn't like, Oh, now I'm going to write for the pixies or now I'm going to write for myself. However, his solo stuff sounds a lot different than the pixies. So maybe it is the band. Maybe Kim will be that ingredient where it's very noticeable. Like it is missing. You know, there's no way around it. It just, something is missing. What about your creative process? How do you work? Where do your, you know, where do your ideas come from? Isn't that the worst question any journalist would ever ask you? Where do your ideas, where do you get your ideas I for, thought, I have for a your good answer skits? though. I, my standard <laughs> answer for that is when you're driving along and all of a sudden you go, I need to call Steve. You don't remember the thoughts that led up to that. You just, it just popped in your head. I think creativity is the same way. You start thinking about a subject and you, it meanders around and all of a sudden you go, that's a joke. That there's a premise that's funny and then you write it down and like however that beamed in it, it didn't just get dropped in there for me at least there was some sort of lead up but it did at one point just thunk in there like oh that's a hey that's a thing <laughs> <laughs> i hope that you greet each idea with that <laughs> <laughs> i'm a pleasure to watch right <laughs> i perk my head up hey wait oh jeez <laughs> Look, he's one of the funniest guys going around, but I do need to warn you guys before you sit in the writer's room with him that <laughs> he's a fan of his own work. 
He <laughs> gets real tickled when he has an idea. Just, not in an arrogant way. He really just chuffed, I would say. <laughs> like that's... a little kid that's been surprised with pudding. <laughs> <laughs> How's yours? Similar? Or do you set out with something in mind? Because sometimes I'll do that. Where, like, I want to talk about this. Or I want to, like, find a way to navigate this. But I don't... I, the more that I do it, the more that I think that there is no right way to do it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's whatever gets the job done. Mm-hmm. Like, so for whatever that you're trying to achieve with your work, you know, however you get there, mm-hmm. like it might, you know, like the, the, the thing that always um, confuses me about comedy, not confuses me, but like it's just one of those things that is unexplainable about comedy, mm-hmm. is how you can work on a bit for six months. And, you know, and maybe get it right or maybe just get it to a stage where it, like, you know, yeah. it's fine. Tolerable. Like, yeah. you can get it to work, but it's not really capturing people's imagination. Right. And in that same show, you could improvise 10 minutes that you could do in your act for the next six months. Yeah. And you're just like, well, I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm funny enough to come up with funny stuff. Yeah. If I could come up with it all on the spot like that, <laughs> I would save a lot of time. Yeah. But there's no real one way to get it done. I just I don't try to get either. it done. And I think it's so endless, the myriad, literally infinite things you can think and talk and say and string sentences and words together that people get too caught up in like, oh, it's it, lyrically, people do that in music. Ah, I'm waiting for these notes to come in correctly or it takes me ages to write a song. Like, I, Some people probably just daily could write a song because like, there are infinite note structures. And I think with that in comedy too, like, you know, it just, I did a competition in uh, Minnesota a while ago where the comedy club had like two teams of five and the night after the show that you just did, you'd get a word and you had to write five minutes of material on that for the next night's show. Oh, okay. It was really fun. It yeah. was a bunch of comedians like kind of all hanging out and then being oddly stressed and kind of tense and, and you get up there, it's like doing an open mic every night with expectation. People are judging you and picking a winner between the two teams and like some of those sets would go really well and you're like, if I could be forced to write and like you say, make it funny, then why can't I turn this joke that I love into something better? Like, it's just kind of, it's doing okay, but I can't make this thing I really want to talk about be as funny as that thing I just came up with. So yeah, I think I go back and forth on that all the time. Like, well, clearly I, I can, I can do okay, but I don't want to talk about that stuff. I'm not wild about that five minutes I just did, even though it got a ton of laughs. You, like that I think musicians maybe have to deal with too. Like, do I want the crowd jumping up and down? Or do I want to feel good while I'm playing it? You know, you, maybe there's a trade-off there. Yeah, I think there probably is. Like, I mean, because I, that's not something as a comedian. I mean, you want them to laugh, obviously, and you want mm-hmm. rhythms and energies and all those sort of things. Yeah. But you never have to kind of consider also, you know, <laughs> I want to keep their energy up in the middle of the set. <laughs> right, <something>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like stringing together a whole set. You know, some people do that so brilliantly yeah. where they build it up and then the end is like this big roar. And I think you're really great at that where you're set like heads to a place, you know, where uh, some comedians kind of, okay, that's it for me, good night. And, and then there are many different schools on that. But like when people can, can artistically give you an arc or something like that, they've clearly like placed it structurally, like this loops to this and the, I love that. The funny like, thing is though, I think that like a lot of my um, style in regard to that structure, and that's true. I do like to finish on a, mm-hmm. a kind of a bigger thing. And, um, that does come a bit from music, I think. I think from oh, really? watching lots of gigs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, because I do like that feel of, I mean, I do like to feel like it's in the moment. As yeah. much as that, you know, mm-hmm. might sound like a really horribly wanky thing to say. <laughs> like, when it works, I'll, I'll give you a good example. So, just this week, so I've been doing the same set because I'm running my Montreal set. And so I've been doing it at, you know, basically the same set at a bunch of different clubs around town. Uh-huh. And it's been going well. Like, it's, you know, so I've so Saturday night. I saw you at the improv and I was running stuff from it there. And, uh-huh. um, so it's, you know, I'm, I feel like, Oh, it's going well, you know, that gig went well. I'm like, I'm really in the zone, having a great time. Uh-huh. I go to hot tub, um, on Monday night, which is, and people have heard me talk about it on here before. One of my favorite shows yeah, in it's LA. A it's a great room. Yeah. And it was a great night. Hannibal Barres dropped in and did a set. Oh, he cool. was very funny. Like it's, it's that sort of club. It was great. Mm-hmm. And just by the time I came on at the end, a little bit of the buzz had gone out of the show and like, but I was like, oh no, no, I'll be, I'm like, I'm in good form and I like, uh-huh. I'll get out there and I'll just find the spot and I'll be, uh-huh. but I just didn't like, you know, they're really? just like, I just, it was fine. Like, you know, it got like, see, if I'm being honest, there's a part of me that's happy to hear that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not because you did poorly, but like some people you watch and you go, 
they must never struggle. They must never have a bad, they seem to genuinely enjoy it and the crowd feels that energy. But when it's you personally, you're like, I struggle, I have bad sets. I mean, that happens. And it's just, it's one of those things where like anyone you work with or in the same field as they go, no, I do that. You're like, okay, good. Oh, oh yeah. We all kind of do that. Okay, It's good. nice to hear, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. you do think sometimes. Yeah, you see people like, they must never struggle. Right. What's that like to never like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's all about just, you know, I can feel it. I always know. Mm -hmm. Like I can tell myself. <laughs> It's like my body just goes into everything slows down a little. Yeah. You know, I feel oh, yeah. I always feel myself doing stupid things like the other night I was leaning on the piano at the improv and I'm like if you're in a ten minute spot and you're leaning, you normally <laughs> you're comfortable. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. Things are fine. Right. There's a great book called The Silent Pulse, which <clears throat> it's a little, you know, if you're into ethereal kind of hippie stuff like that, I I like it because there is something you can feel on stage. You you forget a joke or don't know what's come, coming next. Your face doesn't really betray you, but you can feel the audience know. <gasps> he doesn't know. He doesn't know what's in your... How do they... Where how do this, they know? Where did this come from? They don't from? know how it's going. Yeah, you right. can just feel this weird energy. And the book kind of ties into that. <laughs> we're like, I mean, we are molecularly... We are... We give off an energy. We do have a, like, electricity about us and... A lot of people would say, well, that's ridiculous, but why do we come together? Why do we congregate? There is something that we're sharing in that moment. And like, you know, sometimes you come on stage and you just start chatting. I like to do that a lot just to yeah. get a feel. Because sometimes people will just, you just feel like, oh, they're excited. They're ready to go. Other times it's just staunch silence. You're like, okay, this is going to take some work because these people are not fired up. But I think it's just that energy, you know, it's just feeling that like, oh, there's something in here. I see it. I love seeing it too. Like if you're in a crowded rock room and there's like a low ceiling and you just feel like, man, it's electric in here. It's alive. I remember standing in the middle of the uh, Sydney, it was a homebush stadium where they had the Sydney Olympics mm -hmm. and they have a music <clears throat> festival called the Big Day Out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, Rage Against the Machine were playing Killing in the Name of. And there was honestly in this like enclosed space there were, had to have been 40 50,000 people just as one like yeah, jumping yeah. up and down and you were like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I, when a band can do every band um, wants wow. to do that I mean how do they wow do that? I yeah. feel like no one is ever going to respond to my gentle observations about gay marriage <laughs> in the same way <laughs> but i think that's where like they found that middle ground where it's like, we love playing this. And maybe they do or don't. But you get the sense, like, audiences wouldn't react that way if they didn't truly love it. And then the audience goes, we love it too. And I think that's where you're always struggling in comedy. Like, I don't love this joke, but crowds love it. Or vice versa. Like, I love this joke and crowds don't. So, like, when you reach that thing where you're like, we both like this, that's ideal. Because I talk to so many comedians that are like, I hate my act. Oh, you okay. Know? So that's oh, interesting. You know, I think that's so weird. Like, How do you I feel about it? your act? I always, it's always changing. Like I, if I don't like something, I just move it out of there. And right. I, and even something I started out that loving. That seems like a sensible approach. <laughs> Comedy for me is a very <laughs> like slippery mental slope for me. What do you mean I, by that? I'll take it to heart. I'll get sick. I, it's I'll I'll just get too sensitive about it, or I'll want to like ah, I'm not into it, you know. And then when you start to treat it like a career, you're like, well, I have to do it now. I'm locked into this, like. I don't want it to. I want it to always feel like a hobby. Like it's something I'm having fun going to do. And Does so. it feel like you're stuck in some sort of cylinder? <laughs> you can't no, I haven't had that dream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trapped. I'm stuck in this act. <laughs> but uh, you're right about the changing nature of it. And look, I, there's two things that I never wanted to do as a comedian. I never wanted to be a comedian who hated their act. Mm -hmm. And I never wanted to be a comedian who hated their audience. And Absolutely. you see yeah. some comedians who are yeah. trapped in one or the other of those things. I really like when the people that come to my shows come out and say hello and chit-chat and stuff. I always feel like I would be friends with yeah. all these people. That's and a I, nice I, feeling, isn't that's it? That's the greatest feeling. Yeah, yeah I, I, it would be so terrifying to like latch on to something where like, no, 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 no. Oh, oh God, all the wrong people are coming out. And they've that's the risk you run if you're like, I'm fake offensive or right. I'm like yeah if you're actually offensive that's fine <laughs> yeah. but I do know a few guys who like are not fake offensive but mm -hmm. are like you know they, they're in that world of comedy yeah. but they're not necessarily you know and they are shocked by the shit that their fans send them <laughs> and like you know yeah. like you know that sort of thing going, great gig mate let's go and do some meth and kill someone <laughs> that wasn't actually really the yeah I was just trying to do some topical shit on 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that, that scares me. I, I think the thing that's helped me the most is CDs, like having a way to archive or compile stuff. Okay. I, re- I draw a lot, so I like if I can, all right, that drawing's done, on to the next thing. And CDs have really helped. I did a, like, when I was at the age where everyone's like, all my friends are getting married and having kids, and you just kind of, especially driving around and seeing the, the, the country especially, you see the same strip malls and subdivisions. And so I, I had a lot of jokes. So it seemed like all my jokes were in some way about like reproduction and human sprawl and just humans in the earth. And so like I just finished all that, got all that out. And then I afterward didn't feel that way anymore. I looked at the earth in a different way, like, oh, I got all that out. And then I started thinking more about like people's beliefs and humans, how we're evolving. And so I did a ton of material on that and then got all that out. And so that really helps me like move forward and think about new things. And I, I would just be so annoying to say the same jokes over and over because after at a point you're like, well, I don't feel this way anymore. No. You know, I wish I did, but I don't. I wish I was still this angry about Melrose Place, <laughs> but I still feel like I have the same passion yeah. and outrage about spe- Heather Lockley being a special guest star that I once had as a young angry comedian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, so, life. So, where do you live in Los Angeles? What part, I live what pretty part much in town? Hollywood. I live in an area called Hancock Park, which is like the oldest neighborhood in LA. And strangely enough, my great, great, for sure, great. My great grandfather built a house that is three blocks from me, no and I way. just moved there totally happenstance. I told my grandpa, and he goes, "You know, I grew up right over there. I had no idea." So in a weird wow. way, like, my Huntsberger jeans right. were calling me home. Coming home. Yeah. yeah. So that feels really good. It's quiet, and I live, like, everyone there has so much money, and I don't. I live in, like, a guest house where I'm, <laughs> I'm able to, like, kind of live among them, but I feel like an infiltrator in some weird way. But it's nice. It's so really if they quiet. were making a documentary about, like, your life there, Ice Tees, There Goes the Neighborhood would play as you <laughs> yeah. sign yeah. it to town. Because there's, like, I really try to be conscientious about I don't want the neighborhood to go, like, you know, I've, I've made a lot of money and I want to afford peace and quiet and now this jerk so I don't like ever have late parties or there's even like a gate that I go through sometimes I'll get a little squeaky and I'll oil it <laughs> are you serious? yeah I don't want people to have to like at, late at night here <laughs> wake up like, right I mean that is a terrifying sound to hear late at night yeah. too and it's, I don't even like it's it it's very considerate of you <laughs> thank you but it's also like for me too I don't want to have to hear it every time but yeah there's a lot of like I really like this neighborhood and I feel like I don't really deserve to be there right right and you're doing your best to yeah you're you're essentially you know you're like one of the you you Gatsby-esque you know you just you're living your life but you like the life so you're you're keeping the pretense up so you can be part of the society absolutely yeah yeah, it's great there's parking's easy to find and everything's pretty great about it and it sucks to know that like once I leave there, I won't be able to stay in that area. I'll have to go back to, like, L.A. and be like, oh, God, there are gunshots and stuff and get used to that again. But for now, it's really great. It's really interesting. And so you live alone then? Are you a lone liver or do you... Uh, my girlfriend's there a lot. Okay. So, I mean, we... You know, How do you go by yourself? Are you, like, you know, because that's one of the things I'm always interested in with mm-hmm. comedians in particular who have to spend a lot of time by themselves. Do you... Like your own company, or is yeah. that a struggle for you? I spent most of my life. I mean, I'm in my, I'm 33, and I only started dating her like right after I was about 30. You know, so up until then, I had been alone. I'd have like a long distance girlfriend where like you know I'd chat on the phone, but I mean, most of my time was me in books and writing and drawing or whatever. So like, I really liked that, and that's one thing. Like getting into a relationship was kind of weird. Like, oh, so we're we're gonna watch Netflix? I Okay, okay. <laughs> when, when am I going to write? Right. Like, <laughs> and you kind of like, you forget that a lot of those times where everyone else is winding down from a job, like, that's when creative juices are tend to, tend to start flowing, you know? Like, oh, all day I've been a worthless piece of shit. I've just been sitting here, and now all of a sudden these ideas are flowing in, and I'm, I'm just sort of sitting here like, all right, I'll just think of these later. And I, I've gotten better at, like, balancing those things, but I... I feel like that is a hard thing to do, though, because if you've been used to just being creative Mm 24-7, and so you can, you know, when the... I mean, I I don't mean, like, when the spark hits you, because as we were talking about before, it's, like, a culmination of a lot of things. You know, you might have been writing all day on an idea Mm -hmm. and not got anywhere, and then you go for a walk and it clicks in your head or whatever. Yeah. Like, but you sometimes need just that space. 
Mm-hmm. And I always found the worst one was because my office was at my house at home. Yeah. At, but out the back of the house. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it was separated from the house. And, right. But... A place so, you could at least go to. I, I, I could go to. So it was fine for me. But the, the worst would be if Amy was home. Mm-hmm. Like, I would do a lot more to convince her that I was working <laughs> as opposed to yeah. how I normally work, which yeah. is like... You know, I, I would like maybe watch some TV. I'll like check the email. I'll potter around the office. But I'll, that's how I work. Well, that's what working is. Yeah, exactly. Right. No one would walk in and be like, "Wow, that guy's getting a lot of work done." Be like, "I am." I am. Things, that's exactly thoughts, what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, it's hard to justify that to yourself, right. but that to but me, it is. it's under, yeah, hundred percent that way. It's just really weird. Did you get a lot done today? Well, I you know I was on the internet just doing nothing. But I feel like, yeah, I got a yeah. lot done. Yeah, who knows yet? But I <laughs> right. feel like I've, yeah. you know... There was some stuff stewing in there. But yeah, right. the, I, it's almost like having parents or something that are checking on your homework. <laughs> like, I thought you said you were working. No, no, I am. I, I am. am. <laughs> this is how I work. <laughs> yeah. I, Why luckily, are you going to see Pacific Rim at 10 o'clock in the morning on a weekday? Because this is my work. Because <laughs> I'm a workaholic. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Like, and the good thing, my girlfriend's a writer, so she wants to do the same thing. Okay. It's like, so sometimes she'll be like, you know what? Let's let's actually do something tonight, and then we'll both be just there scribbling away or, or working on stuff. And like when I my last CD I put out, I, I was doing all the artwork for it, and my house looked. Tell me the names of your CDs. You, um, what done, can people get on the on iTunes? You can get three. Okay. Um, there's Hello Robot, which is. I was like 25. It's just, if you're starting out in comedy, I feel like it's inspiring to be like, oh, this is what it's like when you're beginning. Absolutely. And then Humanitis is uh, through Stand Up Records. That's on iTunes. And that was in 2009. Or no, 2011. And then <clears throat> the most recent one is called Explosion Land. And that one just came out in April. And then that's on iTunes as well. And that one I did, all, I, I did all the art for all of them. But Explosion Land was like the most endeavoring or whatever you'd say like in-depth thing like i i made like a clay model then i was sketching that and oh. I, I was i really ha- I, i've never oil painted before i knew yeah. nothing about it so i was like learning how to oil paint while i was doing it and just like going painting this stupid thing like over and over until i finally and my girlfriend was just probably losing her mind like please for the love of god clean up this shit or stop painting. And right. it just, it smelled like turpentine. And it was, she's really good about, you know, like understanding that process. Like, cause you go from like looking online or seeing Pacific Rim to then being a mad scientist and papers everywhere and like scribbling and change all over the table and all that shit. Like, the, that is the interesting thing about it too sometimes. And I, sometimes I have to remember that because mm-hmm. particularly I find it most confronting when I go back in and I'm about to do it now. So I've, the last nine months I've been in, you know, in, comedian land Mm -hmm. so essentially my life has involved comedy festivals traveling around the world telling jokes to people Uh it's been great I love it it's so great I love it but now I go back to TV land and TV land is what makes all that happen so like I'm you know thank you to TV land I'm not (laughs) anti-TV land but then I like it's an office job for three months I have an office job but don't Me, you, do you like Mr. that? Mr. gets up in the morning and sometimes goes, oh, it's sunny. Maybe I'll smoke a joint and walk on the beach for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to get an office. But how does that balance treat you? Because sometimes when I'm out for too long, I get a little like... Oh, no, no, I've got bad habits. Really? So you'd stay out all the time if you could, just constant travel. Yeah, I... I, I but as in, like, I know it's not good for me, mm-hmm. but I, I, at the moment, I'm in that... I think, you know, because, you know, in a, I'm at a stage in my life, you know, sort of personally as well, where it's been nice to just kind of, you know, go out on my own and find myself a bit. But I've mm-hmm. certainly ruined myself for everybody. <laughs> like, do you know, you, you get so close. To, well, I'm just so used to being, I'm not really, like for now a year, uh-huh. hung out with anyone, like more than, you know, because I'm in one place, I'll see someone for a bit, but then I'll move on again. Yeah. And I'm always moving on. Like, you know, so there's no yeah. sort of... Like, you know, we got to catch up once in this whole time, but it's not like we're like, oh, you know, we should go for lunch. Oh, yeah, but I'm going to be in yeah, you know, somewhere true. else. And so you don't have any permanent sort of... So then all your bad habits become just how you live your life. Like, there's no one else there <laughs> to go, really? But you stay in shape and stuff. Like, that, that was something I really struggled with. Like, I would, I would try to eat healthy, but sometimes the club closes and there's only bar food or whatever you know and then you're like well i guess quesadillas are kind of healthy <laughs> like that was, that was driving we, me crazy. We, we now have two things in common 
<laughs> I've certainly said that. Yeah, I, I would rationalize that all the time. I mean, and I think you and I talked about before, like, you know, having someone, you know, and like being away from them and how that, how that goes. And I really now really romanticize the idea of being like a band where you could stay and have not an office job, but writing or doing TV stuff and then just go out and do a tour and then come home. Like that really appeals to me. Like I'll be gone in a dose because if I'm out for too long, like I will eat shitty food and I'll get out of shape and I'll, there's free beer everywhere. Everywhere. And that's really hard to turn down. It's really hard to turn down. <laughs> I wasn't drinking this week. I decided I'm so busy this week. I said, I'm not drinking this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're three days in this week. I've drunk every day. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, this that's isn't impossible. Even, seriously. Like I was at UCB last night and cause we were filming something for this doco we're making afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they filmed the set and, uh, they had beers there and I was like, I'm going to have some beers. And, <laughs> and then, oh, because it was the night after I'd had the kind of weirdish set at, at Hot Tub and uh-huh. I had the complete opposite at UCB. It was like, end of the show. It was one of those things I love so much. My favorite gigs are if I walk out to a room full of no one knows who I am. Yeah. And if you can get them. Right. And especially if they're comedy savvy, like that UCB crowd is a perfect... I'm sure people knew who you were there, but uh, I, I don't think very much, though. Like, I mean, really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there was two highlights of the gig, though, uh, definitely, without a doubt. So, um, I... Uh, the first thing was that the, the girl who hosts the show, whose name is Cameron... Esposito. Esposito. Mm-hmm. Who's very funny. I think she's fantastic. And mm-hmm. I, I listen to their... Because you can listen to the show as a podcast. And oh, cool. I listen to it, you know, a bit. She's mm-hmm. really funny. But her and her girlfriend had a bit that they were trying out, you know, new, just mm-hmm. before I came on. Yeah. And I totally got what they were trying to do. Like, I was like, but the whole premise was they were riffing a whole thing about how much they um, hated men. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, they kept, the thing that they kept coming back to is going, I hate men. You know, I know I shouldn't hate men, but I hate men. And it didn't um, quite go as well as, you know, so it then became a bit of like, oh, do they really hate when? They didn't hate when. They weren't, that wasn't what the bit was. Yeah. But then there was a bit of unease in the audience where half the audience understood that that wasn't what they were doing. <laughs> and the other half of the audience were like, oh, do you really hate men? All the while, I'm standing backstage because I'm about to go on next, uh-huh. like the last person of the night. And I am also a man. <laughs> and I was a little like, this, I'm not sure this is exactly... The intro that I want, as it turns out, by the end of where they got to, it was totally oh, sure, fine yeah. and it was all good. But it was, but my the second thing was that um, a guy called Bradley uh, Whitford. Do you know who Bradley Whitford is? I don't think so. So, if you ever watched a TV show called The West Wing, he was Josh from The West Wing. Okay, you'd know the actor if you you saw his face. And I, I, I'm such a big fan of his. Like I love The West Wing, and mm-hmm. uh, he um, he was in the audience with his, I'm assuming his three boys, I'm not sure, but, you know, his three mm-hmm. underage boys. Uh-huh. That made it sound weird. No, he was... <laughs> you painted a totally different picture suddenly. Yeah, that suddenly went to the TMZ interpretation of that story. <laughs> yeah. West Wing star scene with three underage boys. <laughs> he calls them his boys. So, I'm assuming his sons. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so, of, I'm going to say about 15 through to 12. Like, you know, so like, you know, a good kind of mix of ages. They're at a adult comedy show at UCB on a Tuesday yeah. night. So there, I mean, there's no one in the audience who's having more fun than they are. You know nice. what I mean? Like hearing the dirty words and from side stage, I'm just looking, you can basically just see them. Uh-huh. And it's great because there's jokes they don't understand <laughs> and they'll look at each other and then there's other jokes that they seem to understand a bit too quickly. <laughs> so I decided that I was going to put them in the act. But oh, it was nice. pretty much just because You're I wanted to meet him afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it worked so that's what awesome. I'm saying if so you're you, best friends with Bradley Whitford now best friends I did have to google his name just then to make sure I got it right so let's <laughs> maybe not best friends yet but yeah, pretty close on the way yeah. he told me to stick at it he honestly said those words <laughs> stick at it oh that is the worst <laughs> stick with it man or you run into like extended family and they go are you still doing comedy like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is uh, something about the, um, uh, the, the, there's always, you can tell. I mean, everyone knows how a gig went. Yeah. Well, not everyone. We've all met those people who yeah. think it goes great when it doesn't go great. <laughs> but um, 
but you know, there, there's nothing worse than someone trying to pretend that. That's why if I've had, you know, a shitty gig for whatever reason and I've got friends and family in, like part of the reason that, you know, you don't want to hang out afterwards is not yeah. because I'm, I just don't want you, I don't want to have to hear you say that it was okay. Yeah. You know, it was That's really the, pretty good. Please, let's just drop We all know it, what yeah. happened. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I've done this before and I'm going to do it again and it goes well most of the time. Yeah. However, what isn't going to make this better is you go, oh, well, you know, they... I mean, I think that, no, that doesn't matter. I was doing an Indian casino up where my mom used to live in Northern California. And it is in this like ex-logging part of the world. Like it's very like... So I paint a picture for our Australian... Uh... Okay, so this is kind of... Uh, it, it's rural, you know, kind of rolling hills. It, it would le- look pretty, but a lot of the yards have old broken down vehicles in them, RVs. A lot of billboards for like boats and stuff. Okay. But no one owns a boat. No. And then there's like one lake. <laughs> and so I drive up through so, there. So, I mean, somebody's obviously thought it's an untapped market. Yeah. They've this become is... this place of, no one here owns a boat. It's like this is going to be brilliant for our boat business. Yeah, of course. It's perfect for like, if you're laundering money, yeah. you just sell boats to people who can't afford boats. And then you just turn your money over. Right. And it's a lot of meth out there, okay. camp trailers and that sort of thing. And well, I've always felt the best thing to do in a place where there's nothing to do is stay up all the time. <laughs> yeah, get, soak it in. Yeah. Get the really? most out of it just, you get. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom, so I'm doing the India Casino, which I had done before. And it was one of those gigs where it was like, I need to do this for gas money to get to my other gigs. And sure. it's horrible, but I, it's, I don't have to be up on stage that long, and I no. can deal with it. Right. And it's in this casino where, like, they don't even partition it off completely. You can still hear the slot machines going. But luckily, the saving grace is there's usually not a lot of people in the room. So you, like, you can manage them. My mom goes, I'm bringing a bunch of people from work. And I go, please, please don't. Die. This is awful. Just I know die. it's... A, yeah. And, I, and she goes, you never know. And I go, I do know. And I this is know. me from, yeah. from like, research. Yeah. And she goes... Well, we'll just see. And I was so angry, but I was yeah. like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize. I know how this is going to go. Yeah. So I go up there with like my best attitude. The crowd is full and they could not care less about me. <laughs> they just all start talking. They're wearing like a lot of camouflage and they're clearly like exchanging hunting stories <laughs> and they're just chatting. And so I'm just kind of laughing to myself. And then I just start plowing through my act. Like if anyone's listening, I'll just do it. And then I get 20 minutes into that, and then I just, I start talking to this couple that's politely listening. It's yeah. this obese woman and her husband who is clearly mentally disabled. And they come up and start showing me photos of their daughter on their phone. And somehow or another, they started talking about what they like to do. Or I asked them, like, what do you like to do? They like to watch wrestling. So they start listening to me, wrestlers they like. The room goes quiet. It's the first time they've paid attention. People are now shouting out their favorite wrestler. That's the only time. That's the only time they paid attention. People are like Triple H. Yep, that's a guy. That's someone. Who else? And they're just yelling out wrestlers. And I felt like I got him. Right. I finally figured out a trick. And then of course I get off stage, and my mom is standing there with her friends, and they have that look of like. And I just beelined it toward the bar and just hung out. I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna for once. I can't deal with them. Please. I don't want to hear that. I thought it was. Nope. I'm not interested in hearing it. I know it went terribly. Right. I'm familiar with. And you was gonna go. Terribly. Yeah, I warned you. In and fact, I, this did went better than I thought. I got on with the wrestling bit. <laughs> yeah, it works that new wrestling chunk. Right, next time you go back to town, people will be disappointed. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be sold out a week in advance. <laughs> he does a wrestling thing. He does a lot of stuff on wrestling. Right. <laughs> they don't actually want to hear you talk. They just want to be in a forum where they can yell out their favorite wrestlers. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, that really was the highlight for them, without question. It's like, oh, that was great. I hated that show, but it was nice to get to yell out my wrestler that yeah. I like. <laughs> uh, well, we should finish this up. Oh, uh, we've done it. it. It's flown by, but uh, thank you so much for doing it. I, uh, where can people find you? I know, we, obviously, we plugged your um, albums, but where can people find you I in have like, the, the world? standard stuff. Um, I have a web series coming out that you oh. can find on YouTube slash Rugburn. It's uh, an animation studio called Six Point Harness, and it's, uh, it's an existential sort of animated web series about a guy that's abducted into space, and then he finds the computer that created Earth as a simulation. And then it goes from there. Wow. And, uh, it should be it should be good. That's uh, fun. Yeah, we've yeah, been drawing it. And doing the voice. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been been fun to make. And then uh, my pro- po- podcast called Professor Blastoff with uh, Tig Notaro and Kyle Dunnigan, which we'll hopefully have you on, uh, maybe even at Montreal. Yeah, cool. Which would be cool. And um, 
And then, yeah, you can find me at davidhuntsberger.com and then on Twitter at, at @huntsbergerjunk. Not Huntsberger's junk. It's not... <laughs> uh, that's your Instagram, right? Yeah, that's yeah. my Instagram. It's all just genital <laughs> just pictures. <junk>. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's pretty much it. I have a Facebook. I don't really do much with it, but um, those two things. My website, I put a lot of... I draw comics. They're up there and, and some sketches and all that sort of thing. So... If you want to find me, that's the place to go. If you're listening to this tonight uh, in Los Angeles, I'm at Comedy Juice at the Improv, and uh, tomorrow night I'm at the Comedy and Magic in Hermosa, and then uh, Montreal next week. Uh, I'm doing set list on the Tuesday, and I've got gigs through the week, and I'm doing the Sarah Silverman Gala on the Saturday night if you're in town uh, in Montreal. And then Australia, the, the rest of the tour is on sale now. Well, it's on pre-sale now. Um, you can find the details on my Facebook and Twitter pages uh, for the password, uh, but Perth, Sydney and Canberra all on uh, pre-sale at the moment and we're only doing big shows in those towns, so um, getting quick. Uh, if you like the podcast, as usual, uh, feel free to uh, rate it on iTunes and we are doing our first live ever uh, faux fop. Uh, at the LA Podcast Festival. So if you go to the LA Podcast Festival, you can come and check us out doing our very first uh, live faux fop. Thank you very much, Dave. No, thanks for having me.